It is good to be here again. I bring you greetings on behalf of your brothers and sisters at South Osborne this morning. Uh, it was great to have Ron and Mary come down, and it's uh, hopefully great for me to be here. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. If you've got your Bibles with you, uh, you can turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And I want to let you know that what you have already participated in this morning, uh, none of us coordinated it, but you have actually already lived out the message this morning. You've already done it in the things that we've experienced. And so my job this morning is to actually come and to reinforce what God is already doing amongst us. Uh, we've been in a series on prayer uh, for a number of weeks, uh, kind of in and out of that, and I have uh, the joy of being able to continue that today. Now, a number of years ago, when the Lord was speaking to me about Gateway, but specifically South Osborne becoming a house of prayer for all nations, I was inspired by the example of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. Um, well, actually, not New York City, Brooklyn. They would be very mad at me if I said it <laughs> the other way. Uh, it, Jim Cimbala is the pastor there, famous pastor and an author. Uh, but they are a congregation that has been praying corporately and regularly together on a large scale, long before Gateway ever had a prayer summit, before the creation of the International House of Prayer, the Canadian National House of Prayer, and our wonderful prayer furnace. This is a congregation that has a personal and corporate prayer uh, movement woven into the very fabric of who they are and has the longevity and the miracles seen in prayer over decades to suggest that they are not just a fad or just some new exciting, you know, five steps to create this in your own church kind of thing. The Lord actually birthed something supernatural and genuine in their midst as they asked Jesus, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? As, as one of Gateway's pastors, I'm not alone in having the dream of the Lord helping us at Gateway develop a mighty engine of prayer right at the very center of our church. Those of you who are motorheads here are looking at that picture going, oh, I know what that is. Along with the rest of you, I've, I've had the pleasure and the delight of seeing God actually shape our capacity to pray at Gateway. He's been changing it. We certainly haven't arrived. I mean, Ron and Mary have been a huge gift to us as a church in helping to dig wells of prayer over many, many years, along with our other pastors and elders in our church as a congregations. Uh, but there's something extremely valuable continuing to grow here. I don't care about us becoming or looking like the Brooklyn Tabernacle or an IHOP or an NHOP or whatever hop. Um, I, I want to see our church grow in its capacity to pray. Not just in your own personal prayer closet, but corporately, together, to see God move as we partner with him in prayer. And as we've preached in prayer over the last couple of months, I want to share just a simple, timeless truth about prayer. Whether it's the Brooklyn Tabernacle or us here at Gateway Church, it really doesn't matter. If we tap into the blueprint that God has set in place 
and we actually put it into practice, powerful things will continue to happen amongst us. We've had a long history of praying here at Gateway. And I want to see God move even more powerfully. I'm not sharing anything new today, just so you're aware. I want to encourage and remind us of a very ancient path forged by God himself, lived out through Jesus Christ, and walked out by millions of other believers that have gone before you and me. I want to share with you how prayer and God's word, the Bible and prayer, work together. There is a very simple truth found in the middle of Romans chapter 10, verse 17. That's where you are in your Bible right now. Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ or the word of God, depending on your translation. So no long passage of scripture today, just 12 short words to ponder. Heavenly Father, by your spirit, would you teach us to pray today? Would you increase our faith and capacity to pray? Now, in the context of this passage in Romans, it's actually talking about the preaching of the gospel and people needing to hear it so that they can respond in faith to Jesus Christ. I mean, the simple logic is, if someone's never heard the good news before, if they've never read it, no one's ever told them that Jesus has purchased our salvation through his death and his resurrection, how else will they know about it? And be able to actually respond to that truth unless they discover the good news somehow. But hearing the word of God isn't just like reading any particular book or listening to your latest podcast. God's word is living. It is active. It's alive. And that's why when we hear it and when we read it, something supernatural happens. Unlike anything else on earth, if we allow scripture to do its work in us, God's word performs a miracle in us. Faith is actually grown. It's actually produced. It's produced in us as we hear it, as we receive it, as we absorb it. Now, I'm not that smart. I'm glad God's made it simple for me. Um, Faith comes through hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Now, beyond my own initial salvation experience where I heard the good news and stepped out in the faith that grew in me to reach out and receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, if I want faith to keep growing in me, what do I need to do? Spend time with Jesus in his word. That's right. I mean, again, I need to keep it simple for myself. It makes sense. How can you and I pray effectively with faith and stand on God's promises if we don't know what God's word says? We can't. We can't. Along with other Winnipeg churches, why did Gateway help and invest in translating God's word into another Himalayan language? Well, we did it because we were partnering with the Lord and giving over half a million people the possibility and the gift of being able to read God's word in their own mother tongue so they could read, so that they could know God's love story written to them and know the promises that God's made to all of us. 
Now, it's not the only way. If you want to significantly impact someone's life right here, right here at home, right here in this place and at South Osborne, teach a newcomer to speak English as they build their life here in Canada. If you're a newcomer, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome. It opens up something. It changes things. Julia Todd, Carolyn Braun at South Osborne, they would love to give you the opportunity in our EAL classes. Just talk to them. They'll find a spot for you. But if someone can't read, well, then teach them to read. Reading is a fundamental tool for life, isn't it? Not only does the world open up to us in different ways with the ability to read English or any other language for that matter, when you teach someone to read, now they have the capacity to read, understand, and know God's promises for themselves. That's a precious gift. And that's what I want to reinforce today. This relationship between God's word and prayer. Obviously, Ken made an announcement this morning that this January, we're intentionally spending time in prayer, along with whatever fasting kind of method you choose, whatever feels right between you and the Lord. But if it's going to be a time where you and I just have a general list of things that, and petitions and requests that we pray through, because that's what we ought to do to be spiritual, well, it's going to have little impact on your life and among us at Gateway. Here's the truth. We must always relate the word of God to prayer because it's the word of God that produces faith, that makes prayer vital and dynamic and powerful in its working. When we pray out things that God's brought revelation to us in, to our hearts and minds, it's powerful. In essence, As followers of Jesus, we believe that God is the truth. Not just a truth, but he's the truth. We believe that what he says is the truth and we can trust him. So it would make sense that if we want to pray effectively and actually partner with God in prayer, we need to know what he said. We need to know what he's promised. God still actively speaks to us now, today, to lead and to guide us by his spirit. But thankfully, God took the time to make sure that what he's already said, what he thought was so important to us, would be passed on to us through the Bible. His words to us. His promises. Finding their way to us thousands of years after they were first spoken And producing faith in our hearts to pray for the impossible right here, right now, today. Now, if you've ever heard the story of George Mueller's life, I'm thinking also of Reinhardt and Darcy sitting, we're sitting here uh, today as well. You'll know for George Mueller that he ran a network of orphanages back in the 1800s, feeding thousands of children for years. Not only feeding thousands of children, but feeding them three times a day. Now, as part of one of my hats that I wear, I get to be uh, in the King's School as a board member. Uh, And the challenge of 330 students on a regular basis, day after day after day, pales in comparison to the 10,000 kids that George Mueller was looking after. 
That was a huge and overwhelming daily mountain of needs for George. His testimony was he never made a public appeal for money. He didn't have the reach of of Facebook or social media to kind of get the word out there. There's no GoFundMe page or anything like that for George. George only brought his requests for provision before God in prayer. He had notebooks and notebooks and notebooks of all the things that he brought to the Lord in prayer. But he didn't tell anyone else. And day after day, year after year, the money and the resources kept arriving. The supply kept getting filled. It was miraculous. Miraculous. It happens, it happens for the Newfelds. <laughs> they see it happen too. For George Mueller, that daily problem of running an orphanage, which would seem so huge some days, and his faith seems so small, rather than just persevering with a prayer list out of his notebooks and reciting a bunch of the same prayers every single day, Mueller would actually draw away from the busyness of life, and he would open his Bible, and he would wait before God and say, Lord, teach me your word. Make these promises real to me. Holy Spirit, come and and anoint these promises and words in my heart so that this dynamic faith that I need can, can bring me into your throne of grace, can bring me directly to it with the confidence that I need to know that you are going to answer my prayers today. Wow. Now, I've found in my own life, when I've struggled to believe God for answers to a problem that just seems so big, you know, kind of like looking at a Mount Everest in front of you that you need to climb. When I've taken time to draw away with God, to spend time with him in his word, I found that this kind of time has produced a faith in me and helped me to see actually how big God is in relation to to what I'm actually walking through, to what I'm facing. And all of a sudden, the problem seems smaller somehow. The situation hasn't changed. It's still complicated. But my heart and my perspective have actually been changed as faith has grown and been produced in my heart. It's a precious faith that's like been deposited and grown into a belief that God's in control. He's got this. He's big enough to walk me through the puzzle pieces, the maze, the confusion. If you're wondering about the picture behind me, through that problem that only an hour ago seems so huge and daunting. But the God who makes a way, makes a way. In fact, he makes his own way. And that's why the Bible teaches us that faith comes through hearing. And hearing by the word of God. The combination is this, the word of God producing faith that produces prayer and prayer that is dynamic and powerful. Why? Because our prayers are infused with the divine, living, and active faith given through our encounter with the word of God. And it keeps going around and around and around. Here's a very simple example. When I open my Bible and I invite the Holy Spirit to teach me And I see a a common or a familiar verse like Philippians 4 verse 13 where God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Does that mean that I can fly and leap tall buildings in a single bound? Because I can do all things? 
It'd be cool. <laughs> It'd be really neat. In the natural, probably no. But what it does mean is that no matter what I'm facing, no matter what you're facing, that I can walk through it as I invite Jesus to strengthen me and lead me. He will actually give me the capacity to do things that I could never have done on my own. Really? Wow. Ah, Faith just sparked in me. Jesus, I, I, I believe you at your word. This is the situation I'm facing, Jesus. I don't know if I, don't know if I can do it. I, I need your help. I need your strength to fill me. See, that's prayer and the word of God coming together in partnership through our faith in Jesus. That's what you were doing in worship this morning as we were singing and worshiping through Psalm 143. Taking God's word and saying, God, this is what you have said. I'm going to trust you. As human beings, one of our greatest battles in prayer is holding on to the promises that God's already made real to us. Holding on to the scriptures that tell us this is what God will do if we call upon him and trust him. This is where the enemy loves to come along and do exactly what he did to Eve in the garden. Did God really say? Did he really say that? Did he really promise that to you? Did you hear right? I don't know. It seems a little shaky, a little flaky to me. Maybe God didn't actually say to that and You're believing something you shouldn't. He loves to do that in our hearts and minds, to throw us off. But what about Moses? God calls Moses through a burning bush. God says, I'll be with you. He commissions him to go to Egypt and to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Moses believed God and he went. God even shared with him that that Pharaoh would harden his heart. But the experience of that calling would have been unforgettable to Moses. Wouldn't it? Like that experience of God calling him would have been unforgettable. And he would have traveled to Egypt believing that God was going to work a miracle. I mean, has that ever happened to you? Not the burning bush part maybe. But, but a time where you encountered God felt so, something so strongly as a promise from God that you stepped out in faith, filled with faith in prayer, to go after and see that promise fulfilled. But then, like Moses, what you thought was going to happen didn't. That's not always easy to deal with, is it? Moses stood before Pharaoh. He gave his message from God. But instead of the Hebrews being set free... Pharaoh made their lives even more difficult, didn't he? Multiple times he said, no, I'm not letting them go. It's certainly, I've certainly felt the frustrations and the disappointments and even the confusions when the opposite of what God has said seems to be happening in my own life. Now again, this is important because we have to remember, what has God said? Moses would have gone... Let my people go. Right? And sometimes we do the exact same thing, forgetting all of what God has said. And then we get a little disappointed. 
Maybe Moses went, this should happen right now. Has that happened to you? But what Moses had to do, Moses' response was to go back to God and say, God, what are you doing? And he had to be reminded, you remember I told you I was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. His heart was going to be hardened. For us too, we like to remember the happy bits of what God said, don't we? <laughs> the easy bits to remember. But, sometimes, but we also need to remember all of what God has said to us. Because when we cling on to all of what he's said, we will find our way through. And that was the test of faith for Moses. It's our test as well. Are we going to trust God is going to be true to his word, that he's faithful to fulfill his promises? Or are we going to go by what we see happening around us, what we can see with our own five senses? Are we going to just see what's happening around us and look at that rather than what God has actually said? Are we going to hang on to his promises until God comes through in power? The people of Israel were miraculously delivered out of Egypt in a spectacular way. Moses would have never expected how that was going to happen. But God fulfilled his promise. But Moses had to keep checking back in with God in prayer all along the way to ask God, Lord, what's next? We hit, a, we hit a roadblock. What's next? We hit this. What do we need to do next? Until God's promise was fulfilled. And what did that do? It kept building Moses' faith. And I believe the same process happens for you and me. I know many of you here, sitting here today, you've got your own stories to tell about how you've partnered with the Lord, sometimes for decades before seeing answers come to a promise that was given to you a long time ago. Maybe you're still waiting. But there is a moment of grace, something the Bible calls God's favor. The moment where God's promise is answered and fulfilled and everything comes together. The challenge is to keep persevering in prayer and enduring until we see that answer. When that moment of favor comes, when God does do what he's promised. If you think you can live without this combination of God's word and prayer, you're mistaken. You're mistaken. The scary thing is, is that we can live without God's word and prayer. And he lets us. You need God's word and prayer working together. In order to become a people of prayer, we need to develop a vital relationship with the word of God. If you need help growing in your capacity to understand God's word, maybe it just doesn't make sense to you, well, ask for help from the Holy Spirit and other believers that are around you that you know are further ahead on the journey than you are, that you can learn from and grow from. Pastor, a cell group leader, whoever. If you're here today and you have absolutely no hunger to read God's word and pray, well then pray this. Say, Lord, would you make me hungry? Would you make me thirsty? God answers prayers like that. If you know that you've drifted for whatever the reason, 
Don't let anger, guilt, shame, fear, whatever it is, keep you from reconnecting with Jesus this January. Just be honest with where you're at. If needed, confess any sinful attitudes, actions, habits, whatever it is, and invite Jesus to refresh your love for spending time with him in prayer and with his word. We need to grow in the faith that comes from knowing the Bible and calling on God in prayer to fulfill his promises, not just personally, but together as Gateway Church. We've got so much to pray for, don't we? But we have a big God that wants to meet us in 2019 and show himself glorious to us together. It's the way he is. It's how he works. I want to share with you a video testimony of a woman named Roberta. She's from the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. And her testimony illustrates exactly what we've been doing and what I've been talking about this morning. And as you listen to her story, I want you to look at the connections between God's word and prayer and her relationship to Jesus. And you'll notice that she kept coming back to God's word. What had God already said, even though things weren't going well? What did she anchor herself into? It's a powerful example of the kind of faith that actually grows from God's word and the power of prayer at work to accomplish far more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. And you know what's even more powerful? You know what's even more powerful? When we don't do it alone, but we do it together. Together as God's people. And we seek his face. Amazing things happen when God's people pray. So let's seek him together this January. And throughout this year. Amen. Let's watch the video. Rejection and feeling that I was not smart having red hair, freckles, glasses, and braces. Never fitting in, always feeling like I was outside looking in. I remember from an early age feeling that way. I went home one day and I said, you know, I'm failing in school and, you know, I I don't want to go to school anymore. And my mother and stepfather said, okay, so drop out of school. And when I was 18, I moved to New York. And uh, I was working in the city and I met a man who was, um, I was 18, he was 34, and he turned me on to heroin. And I started using IV heroin at 18 years old. He would take me to these, they were called shooting galleries, and you would stick money in like a hole in the door, and they would, you know, give you the drugs through the hole in the door. Heroin makes you feel euphoric. It makes you feel invincible. It took away that pain, that emptiness, that that gnawing that was inside of me. Uh, I was living uh, next door to the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and I remember walking by the church, and everybody would be outside with their Bibles, and I was like, these people are so weird. (laughs) And uh, I would go home, and my bedroom window faced the alleyway, And the choir would sing, and I would hear the choir in my bedroom. And I remember I would cry, and I was like, I just didn't understand what that was. 
in October 87, I found out that I was HIV positive. And I was really devastated. And um, I was on this like four or five day binge and Tuesday morning came around and I knew that there was this prayer meeting at Brooklyn Tabernacle that my brother always told me about. So I got in my car and I drove here and I had on, I remember I had on these tight leopard skin pants and this leather motorcycle jacket. <laughs> and uh, I walked down the middle aisle and the prayer meeting had just started and people were worshiping the Lord and praying and singing and and I went and I tapped my brother on the shoulder and he just looked up like in shock that I was there. And I just burst into tears. I said, Stephen, I need Jesus in my life. And that was the beginning of a, my journey with the Lord. I, I became a member and I was in the choir and I felt that I wanted to go deeper with God. And I started working at the church and out of that was birthed the homeless ministry called New Beginnings. I guess I saw myself, a part of myself in them, the, uh, the rejected and beat up by the world. And, and I just had this tremendous love for them. In the process of that, I met a gentleman over the phone who I told him what I was doing and he was cheering me on and he told me he was a Christian and he was an ordained minister. And anyway, we started communicating and I got involved with him and uh, he, it turned out to be a very destructive relationship. Uh, he had a control over me that was, I would say, even more powerful than drugs. So I broke that relationship off, and that was the beginning of a, uh, I call it the dark night of the soul. God started to reveal things about myself that I didn't even know were in my heart. And the Bible says that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it penetrates the heart, and it exposes what's in your heart. And my only recourse was the Word of God. And it was through that period, it was about a one-year period, where I literally, I, I could not go anywhere without my Bible. I remember this one particular day, uh, I was still fighting this battle of this resisting this person and calling him. And, and uh, I opened the Bible and I turned to Psalm 18. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Is that awesome? This went on for a year, and every day I would wake up and I would say, Oh, God, you must have a great plan for my life. It was so powerful because I was in so much pain that he knew that I needed his presence. When you meditate on God's word, it transforms you because it's alive. It's like vitamins. <laughs> 
keeps you healthy. And you know what the most awesome thing about that whole year was? That was the most fruitful time of that ministry. I had become very ill in uh, 2003 uh, from HIV, which then went into full-blown AIDS. And uh, from then on, it just was a downward spiral. I had pneumonia four times. Almost ended my life. How could I have gone through all of that and, and now wind up, you know, weighing 100 pounds, having three major surgeries in a nursing home on my deathbed in critical condition, ICU? Where are your promises? Wh- what was that all about? And once again, God came through and promised. And one of the scriptures God had given me was also in Isaiah, was uh, when you feed the hungry and clothe the naked, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. (laughs) And I should not be here. And I started to regain my strength and put on weight and started to recover and I'm healthy and I'm working and um, I'm working in a field where I, which I love, which is the arts. Through all of these experiences that I've had with God, I have a track record with God now that I could look back and say, this is where God has been faithful. God was faithful here. God was faithful there. He answered this prayer. He's never given up on me. And the choir sings this wonderful song. Everything he says in his word, he will do it for you. And that his word and his promises are true for us that he who has begun a good work will complete it.